2: Yeah. No, I, I, I don't know why it just came to my mind here, just like that. What came to my mind? A magnificent salami sandwich. I have no explanation for it. That's just there. I mean, uh, it's just there. Just it, it's, it's kind of discouraging to realize this can happen. But you know, often a performer will. I, I'll never forget one day I'm on a stage. I'm in a play. See. And I'm with a very fine actor. We're both working together on this stage play. And this is in the middle of a performance. You know, 1,500 people sitting in the house and a very tense scene. And another actor was off to the left doing a very long, sad soliloquy about how shabbily life has treated him. And it was a very very big-type play. It was, no, no, this is no... uh, uh, a fly-by-night thing, see. And and myself, I'm seated seated over at stage right at a table. And uh, I'm sitting with this other guy who's also, and by the way, a very famous actor. And the two of us, it's a three-man play, the two of us are listening to the third guy berate fate for what has happened to him. It's a dramatic moment. And we're supposed to be commenting on what he says, you know, like we... Under our breath, you see, like we're both uh, talking about it, but the audience doesn't hear it. Like he says, Oh, my God, what hath fate wrought? To be or not to be, that is the question. And he's looking out at the audience with tears streaming down his eyes. And uh, this guy leans over to me, and we're both, you know, talking. We're, we're all in costume and everything. He leans over to me and he says, He says, You know what would go great right now? And I said, What, George? He says, A a plate of ribs. Barbecued ribs. He says, geez, I can taste them. I says, yeah, some ribs. I hadn't had ribs in a long time. Little ribs and a big glass of dark beer. Oh, wow. He says, yeah. Mm. And all the while, this guy's standing over to the stage, right on the apron. And he is saying, I shall plunge the dagger deep into my heart. Oh, the fates, the evil fates. And the music came up behind the scene. Great, welling, swelling scene. And the audience is deeply concerned and swept out to sea with the poignancy of the moment that they are sharing with the actors, they are one with the muse, and all three of us up there on the stage are thinking about barbecued ribs, <laughs> <laughs> which incidentally was, brought a great deal of fervor to the scene, because there it, it, it was a real involvement, a real involvement, you're curious who the actor was, was <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> Oh yeah, we every night when we were playing these different things, we would have all kinds of stuff going up on the stage, all kinds of uh, incidents. I'll I'll never forget one time. There was in the same uh, in the same vein. Uh, I was I was in this play where where uh, there was a key scene where the guy was sitting, the guy I was playing, the guy is sitting stage front. He's right right on the apron, you know, and and it's a breakfast scene, and. He's sitting at a table, and the audience is looking at the side of the table. His side is to the audience, and they're watching him have breakfast. And he's having breakfast with the heroine. And uh, the big uh, scene, of course, involved the fact that uh, they had just spent the night together at the culmination of this fantastic play, and now it is the morning after, and uh, they are having breakfast. You, you, You picture the scene. You're curious what the play was. Well, the play was the voice of the turtle, and yes, Van Druten, and uh, I am playing the sergeant, who was the, you know, the guy in the, in the play, and the, the girl, incidentally, was Mindy Carson, who was a, an actress and singer, and she was, she was sitting opposite the title with me, so we were, we were having this, this uh, breakfast, it was a kind of a light romantic scene where, where, uh, you know, obviously love has triumphed over all, and the whole bit, see, and And he's about to go back to the army now. And so there's an underlying sense of poignancy. You got all that. It's a kind of a gruey scene, all right? So the audience is watching this. And uh, we had a a carafe. You know what is a carafe? Well, I'll I'll put it in simple English, a jug. We had a a jug. And I, I, I would get up, you see, part of the scene. I would get up and I would go into the kitchen where she could not see me, right? but the audience could see me it was a kind of a cross-section scene see so I go into the kitchen there and and I'm going to get some orange juice and I open up the the refrigerator there and I reach in and I take out this orange juice this carafe of orange juice it's a jug see and I take it out and uh, (laughs) and the point was that at that point I'm supposed to take it I'm supposed to take a big drink of this stuff see take a big drink of it and and because uh, I'm about to tell her that uh, I'm slipping out, and that's the end of the ball game, and I'm leaving, see? So I take a big drink of this stuff sort of like to steal my nerves to go out and lay it on her, see? So I reach into the icebox, the refrigerator. Now, we've been playing now for about two weeks, and it's been to sell out packed audiences, packed right to the gills. And uh, every night I would go in there, and I would a big scene. See, I'm facing the audience. See, and I, and I make a funny face at the, this point. I was oh, you know, jeez, you know, what am I going to say to this chick, you know? And uh, the girl is sitting out there, and she's been romantically carried away by the scene, and uh, she does not know that the sergeant is about to tell her forget it. He's going. He'll probably never see her again. That's the end. If it's a one night stand, you know that kind of thing. So uh, I go into the I go into the icebox on this night, the refrigerator, see. Now reaching open, it's two weeks. Now this is uh, where, it's a Saturday night. Now we have, we opened on a, on a Friday night, two weeks before. And of course the Saturday night audiences were always a gigantic audience. <laughs> you want to know little things that happen on stage. In case you're curious, this was a Broadway production. This is not, the uh, little theater stuff down in the Armpit Theater on 4th Street. This is the big deal. So, you know, with stage hands that go for $5,000 a day and all that, see, so, uh, Yeah, in many, many productions, it may surprise you that in many, many productions, many, the stagehand in the, whom you've never seen, and who, by the way, often does nothing, he's just there because they need eight stagehands as a union contract, and only two of them are needed really to do the work. So many, many productions, I say by far the majority, the stagehand is earning more than most of the featured, if not even the leading actors in the play. Did you know that? Well, very few people are aware of this. I mean, more. He's not earning as much as. He's earning far more in many cases. <laughs> and, and, in fact, I read of one scene where there's one theater in the country where stagehands have been known to earn, and this is not even in New York, upwards of 1500 a week, which is a lot of money. And uh, for a guy that, you know, picks up a couple of things once in a while and moves a rope here and there and uh, puts in roughly three and a half to four hours a day. So, uh, nevertheless... Uh, yeah, that, that's going to go over great with all the boys. Yeah, so be it. But uh, nevertheless, see that's what's known as displaced values. This is what's been happening in a lot of worlds, in you know, a lot of scenes. So nevertheless, uh, we're in the scene, and I go, I go to the, I go to the uh, refrigerator scene. I open the refrigerator up. Now it's a big scene, and the girl is sitting out at the table, see she's all excited and very romantic. You know, and you can see she's straightening her hair. She's trying to look beautiful. And uh, <laughs> it's a touching scene, really. And Shepard, come on, i me visit the scene. Shepard reaches into the icebox, takes the carafe. It is now two weeks we've been playing, and it, it, everything is working groovy, see. So I take the carafe, and I take the swallow of the stuff, see. I go, oh, big swallow, and holy God almighty, I can't tell you what it was like. It was incredible. Now, to begin with, it's not the obvious thing you think that's happened. Somebody's put whiskey or something. Not at all. Nothing. Not at all. Something had happened. I take this great gulp of this stuff. Well, it went down in my gut before I knew what happened, because, you know, there I'm on stage. It caught me totally unawares, and I tell you, I made a face that was fantastic because the audience, instead of at that moment, see, the audience was supposed to feel a kind of sympathy for me, see, all oh, a sad scene, you know. There was a tremendous laugh. The audience—it's tremendous because the guy went, oh, oh, oh. "What a sight!" His eyeballs bugged out. You know what the devil? <laughs> well, it threw the complete play off through the rest of the the performance that night because because at this point now he had stopped being a poignant character and he became a funny character. See. Well, then, with that, I walked out with the carap, see, and I, and I sit down at the table. Well, I was so shaken by what, it, not shaken, but uh, it had been so unexpected I was completely thrown out of the scene that I sat down there and I looked out at the audience. See, I just sat and looked out while she starts to talk to me. I look out at the audience, apparently I had a silly look on my face. because No, not it wasn't obviously, because uh, uh, there was. I looked out at the audience, and they started to laugh again, saying she got really bugged. This chick got really bugged because, you know, this was her big romantic uh, scenes. <laughs> and I looked back at her, see, and uh, then she started to get caught up in it. She, she started to... I don't know what happened that night. And and, and so the, the the play took on an entirely different, totally different set of values. And what was so interesting was that that, that night there were two or three people in the audience who had been in the, I don't know whether this is boring or not, but it's interesting to me, had been in the original Broadway production and who saw this this time. And one of them came backstage and says, boy, that director you got is a genius. It's a fantastic, th- th- this thing is, is really one of the funniest comedies I've ever seen, and we never saw it as a comedy. <laughs> well, we began to play it that way every night and and the play became a totally different thing, and and in fact it it was it was interesting what happened as a result of that. That play suddenly had a great revival. It was being played, and they were all doing it our way now. But there was a what what happened? You are curious what was in the in the carafe? Well, again the stagehand. This is why I'm always the stagehand <laughs> was supposed to every night change the orange juice in this thing. There was actually orange juice in the carafe. Well, this guy had not changed, apparently, the orange juice for about three nights, and all of a sudden, it turned bad, and, and of course, on the stage, and it was a plastic one. I couldn't see the orange juice in there. It was a white plastic jug. You know, you can't see what's in it, and uh, all I know is that I took the top off and took a big swallow of it, and it turns out that it had green fur on the top of it, and I took a big swallow of moldy orange juice. And I want to tell you that will change your viewpoint suddenly, it was very, especially when it comes unexpectedly when you're concentrating on something. Well, we had another. <laughs> there was another thing happened in that scene. This is WOR New York. Okay, we have the Book Find people with us here tonight. And uh, the only way, they say, to judge book clubs is by the list of titles. Well, that's logical. The Mass Book Clubs feature books that appeal to the masses, and the Book Find Club seeks out only the best of contemporary fiction and nonfiction, like The Game of the Foxes, Uncommon Sense, Memoirs of Hope by Charles de Gaulle, and so forth. So uh, if you'd like to join the club, you're, they're putting on special inducements now. They'll send you for only $1 plus postage and handling, two extraordinary books that will cost about $15 at bookstores, Jean-Francois Ravel's Without Marks or Jesus, and lawyer F. Lee Bailey's the Defense Never Rests. That's a dollar apiece if you join the club, of course. So call and find out about it. It's TN71441. And as a book find member, you're obliged to purchase just two more books in a whole year. The number is TN71441. Or send your name and address, no money to book find woR New York. Book find woR New York you know uh, one of the rarest things in uh, publishing and this by the way is a commercial is uh, is a magazine that really takes off right away and people talk about it all over the world and this has happened with intellectual digest and if you get a chance to pick up a copy of this magazine really do it it's uh, it's uh, it's just what it says it's an intellectual digest it's a compendium uh, of uh, of articles from all over the world over 300 publications are are condensed into this one thing fantastic st- series of writers in it and right now you can get a free issue of the current intellectual digest uh, along with a no obligation trial subscription to the next eleven issues for just five bucks this is a really good price this is a half the regular subscription price and if you're not totally satisfied just cancel your subscription within 14 days tear up the bill and you're in business for your complimentary issue of Intellectual Digest and trial subscription, write Digest in Care of Me, Gene Shepard, W O R, New York, New York. Right now, because it's a short offer. That's Digest in Care of Gene Shepard, W O R, New York, New York. Or you can call this number right this minute. The phones are open. It's MU71100. That's MU71100. That's Intellectual Digest. It really makes it. One night, uh, uh, the only reason I bring all this up is that that sometimes when you see a performer on doing a thing, his mind may be in an entirely different place than yours is. And so you see, uh, you know, you see Johnny Carson come out to do his bit. And uh, Johnny Carson could very well be thinking for the first five minutes of his narration or his, his monologue about the vacation he's going to take in in Fort Lauderdale and how how you know how groovy it's going to be when this show is over because then he's through for two weeks and he's going to get out of here and he's going to you know this is this happens all the time now that doesn't mean they're not with it but a really good performer you see uh, this this is quite often his mind works on three or four different levels simultaneously to what he's doing that doesn't mean he's not doing it well he did it exceedingly well but he, he he really can work on four or five levels. Uh, whereas most people, when they're doing something that requires great labor, are working on one level. That's it. They're trying to get the, the bolt off the wheel or something, Seeing, <laughs> you know, whatever it is they're doing. Uh, so I, I, I remember another thing that happened in that play. I, it was a great, uh, in case you're curious, you can probably look up the, the reviews. It got great reviews, by the way, in, in the local press. But uh, one night, one of the great moments that ever happened to me as a performer, it was a fantastic moment. What, it was such a funny scene happened that, that it almost sounds like it was invented. But I'll tell you exactly what happened. It, well, invented meaning it was set up. And I imagine a lot of the people who saw it happen, and I thought it was. Well, two things happened during that production it were very much like that. Uh, one night, the the, uh, the set was a cross-section of an apartment, the girl's apartment. And, and, and on the upper left was uh, a cross-section of her bedroom. And uh, you saw over here... Here was a section of the of the living room, like where, where there was a central room of the house. And they had, uh, you know, of drawers and the TV set and the radio set and all that stuff and lamps and couches and stuff. And over here to the right was, this, was the kitchen. You would go through the door to the kitchen. That's the actual set that is described in the play, uh, the, the printed the version of the play. So one night, one of the great key scenes occur when this guy... <laughs> the guy in the play has split. See, he's he's he, he's left, and uh, she's very unhappy. The, the whole play is about this this uh, sergeant uh, in the army who meets this girl. She's a she's a an ingenue actress type, and a very supposedly very innocent, which of course is a contradiction in terms. I've known many an ingenue actress, and that's one thing they ain't. But uh, nevertheless, she's supposed to be as 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 the driven snow type. And uh, who runs around and giggles a lot and says, oh, oh, uh, oh gee whiz, and that kind of thing. So uh, here, here, here's the big scene where she, she uh, the, the, the sergeant leaves, he goes out into the night. He has met her and everybody's expecting, by the way, who was it? Was it, uh, was it uh, George Bernard Shaw who said that, any, uh, that the essence of all great drama is a prolonged seduction? That's what drama's about. Think back on it. Think back on uh, on uh, Romeo and Juliet. Uh, Prolong if you can if you can uh, if you can string a seduction out over three acts. You've got yourself a smash. <laughs> Think back on it. Now don't don't laugh at that. Think seriously about it before you before you laugh at this. And uh, there's a, there's a great deal of truth in this. And so, uh, nevertheless, that's what this play really is. See, so this it follows that concept. So they meet, and it's kind of romantic. They go to an Italian restaurant. And he doesn't even know her, and uh he's uh, eventually they get they get to know each other. And finally, he leaves. He says, "Well, it's been a wonderful evening. See, it's been a wonderful evening, and uh, I don't have a place to stay tonight. He's supposed to be in town over the weekend, and uh, I don't have a place to. But I'll find a place. Don't worry." Out there, and it's supposed to be raining like hell out there, too. See, everything is loaded. It's a cold winter, raining night. And so he leaves. He goes out into the night. The sergeant, he's gone now. After this romantic interlude in the Italian restaurant, and they've uh, had this little gay thing at night, and he kisses her and all. and You know, it's a very romantic scene, and he finally leaves. Well... She then is heartbroken. See, she realizes that she has fallen madly in love with this guy and she may never see him again. And uh, now we see her, and she's up in her bedroom and she is getting ready to go to bed. Well, at that point, just as she does, she's, yeah, oh, yeah, this is a very important scene. And as she's getting in, and it's very dimly lit, you got it, see. And uh, the scene is very romantic, and she's crying, and all of a sudden you hear the doorbell ring. You hear, bzzz, see, and everybody in the audience says, "Oh, is, 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 he, he must have come back." You see, and uh, she gets up and and uh, she says, "Come in," and the door opens and in comes the sergeant. And he's covered with rain; he's been out in the rain, and he comes up to the to the bedroom there, and she's in bed. You see, yeah, she he comes up and he comes up to this, it's like little steps go up, and he comes up, and now he's standing in the doorway, and he's about to leave again, he says, oh, I'm sorry, "I, I thought you, I didn't know you'd be in bed yet, and so he starts to leave, and then he suddenly turns, and he comes toward her, and she sits up in bed, and he and he leans over, and he 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 kisses her, and just... And, of course, that and then the scene changes, and the music comes up. You know, there's a great swell of romantic music comes up, see? No, no, that's no good. I, no, I'm sorry, I thought you had the other one up. That'll never work. So, uh, anyway, no, it's too late now. But there's a great swell of music that comes up. You know, the piano music swells in the background. And you know it's a fantastic scene. And the light dims. And you see this great clinch... And you know what's going to happen, and it's no, no, and all the audience, all the ladies in the audience in particular, you know, they just, their eyes are all puddling up, you know, <laughs> it's a great scene. Well, then, then, th- that's the end of the act, see? That moment is the end of the act. Got it? The curtain comes down, and that's when. They, everybody goes out and gets themselves a bourbon across the street, you know, all the audience, and they, they, they go out into the auditorium, out into the uh, lobby, and they talk about what a, what a great, uh, exciting scene this is, what a great play, and all that, you know, all that stuff. Well, then the, the next act opens with that breakfast scene that I talked to you about. The, fir- the next act opens now. You know what's happened. It's now bright, sunny morning, and they go out and get the Times and all that. It's, you know, it's a real New York-oriented play. And so here they are, they're, they're having breakfast. Now, you got the picture. Uh, I, I guess a lot of you are curious about seeing his play. <laughs> well, at that point, at that point, say... Uh, the, the, I'll never forget one night. Again, it happened when there was a packed, fantastic house. Gee, it was wild. Everything, every, any time you really have some wild thing happens, to you it's always when there's a big crowd. It hardly ever happens on a Tuesday, uh, uh, you know, a Tuesday matinee, something that's special when only six people are in the audience. No, it happens packed house. See, so Shepard comes up to this. He walks up the to the steps. Now, remember, he's I, I've got my raincoat on. I've got my my uniform. It's all in uniform. See, this guy's got his uniform on. He's a tech sergeant in the infantry, and uh, he, he walks up uh, the steps in this darkness, and he appears in the doorway of her bedroom, and it's a romantic scene, romantic moment. The music comes up, and I come over towards her, and I say, gee, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know that, uh, gee, oh, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm, she says, well, if you got a place to stay? Did you find a place? He says, Oh, don't worry. I'll find He says, I just wanted to use the phone. I want to come back and use That's what he came back for, He to use the phone. And uh, she says, Oh, well, gee. Uh, he says, I didn't know you'd be in bed. And then he starts to leave. And, it, and at that point, there's a dramatic pause. He's by the door again. Uh-huh. You got the, 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 the great music up? So there's a dramatic pause. At that moment, he stands in the doorway with his back to her, and then he slowly turns to her. And she sits up in bed. And he comes toward her. And he reaches down, and the two of them meet at that moment. The music rises. And he kisses her. Just fantastic, fervent kiss which, by the way, is different from the one they would had earlier, which was a very uh, polite little kiss they had earlier in the play. And he gives her this fantastic kiss. And as he does so, he sinks down on the edge of the bed. See, just like sitting there. And she comes up. And just at that moment, as I sink down, when everybody's sitting there involved, the music is coming, swelling up. I sink down to the bed at... The bed collapsed. <laughs> it just went kapow. The bed collapsed. <laughs> it was a fantastic moment. It was just and, and the kind of thing that would really happen in life, you know. The bed, the bed just went zowie down. It went and. We sat there for a second, and the audience was a fantastic roar. Well, no, they didn't gasp; they roared. They thought it was it was too beautifully done. You know, it was like it was produced. The audience just roared, and the curtain came down, and it was a tumultuous, tremendous ovation. And all the while, they they kept playing that romantic music behind us. See. The music is playing, and it was such a fantastic juxtaposition of the bed collapsing, the guy falling out of bed, and the chick looking out with this wild look, what the hell happened, look, you know, and the curtain going down, and the music roaring, it was it was almost like the first true bit of theater of the absurd. Ever seen on pleat; the people just broke up, and I remember... Standing behind a curtain with her, you know. Well, here we are. The curtain is down. The bed is collapsed. She's in her nightgown, and and uh, the the scene was, by the way, very difficult to to do because uh, I had to wear a, a set of pajamas over my uniform in the scene, so it could be uh, a lot of quick changes went on in this thing. And so, if you can imagine, taking off the pajamas and there, I got a full uh, GI uniform on and all that. So we, we stood behind her and you could hear the audience cheering out in, in the front of the house. The bed is collapsed. And she looks at me and she says, if this, if, if this guy says, keep this one in the scene, <laughs> keep this in, <laughs> I'm going to walk out on the play. <laughs> well, then, then we, we, you know, it was just a wild moment. And then, then a couple of, couple of nights later, another one happened you know you you're you're capable of things under duress i hope this isn't boring you but that you're capable no well, you know i don't know if i talk about the, about the background of showbiz but you're capable under duress of doing things which would never which which you would never be able to do in other words it's the, it's the superhuman thing uh and i i this happens to athletes all the time i mean uh, you've seen the cases in recent history for example uh, Ron Swoboda, for example, uh, has never been better than just a run of the mill outfielder. And yet, under the fantastic pressures and excitement of the World Series a few years ago when the Mets won the World Series, he was making catches that uh, no <laughs> I mean, incredible. So you see never those well what was it what was happening? Well the juice was flowing. Far more than he could control and he became truly superhuman at that moment. Well, that's right. Well, this happens. This is a, and, and when it happens, you can't, you can't really call it back. You know, it's, it's just inexplicable. So one night, there was a scene. And all of your senses when you're involved in a thing like this, this is one of the great things about acting, in case none of you have ever really done it professionally, is that when you work, any kind of performing really uh, when you when you, when you 're really into it and you 're really working at it and you're 're fairly good at it, what happens is you begin to have almost super sensitivity to things around you as you're working. you 're working it 's like everything like all of your senses are raised to a, a higher level of uh, of uh, sensitivity it 's really really true and and and, and uh, you can't you, you, your brain works on a very much quicker Uh, time schedule, Uh, in other words, your reaction times are very different than they are even when you're normal, when you're walking around, the same guy. And uh, you you find yourself saying great things, great lines come to you, great, great things happen in your mind that During the week when you're just sitting talking to friends never happens and they wonder what the heck's the matter with you, you know? (laughs) How come you're not uh, Superman, see? Uh, But you are Superman when you're really working because you do things which you could never conceivably do, and they could never do. But it's a combination of professionalism and work and and, uh, many things combined to make you at this moment a, a true superhuman. Well, I had an incident like that, very much like that. fantastic thing happened. Uh, yeah, when I did something, I could never reproduce again. Uh, where I was, I was in the in, again in the same play. Okay, well, it's, there was a scene where uh, this guy again. This is a later scene now, after their breakfast scene, and uh, he's he, they're now hanging. They're in the apartment there, and, and it's a yeah. They're hanging around the apartment. It's it's a it's a Sunday afternoon, and he's about to go back to the army, and. Uh, He had been, uh, I'll give you a a little plot to give you an idea why this happened. He had been really coming into town to date another girl. That's how he met this second girl. Now, the girl that he had come in to date was a friend of this girl. And uh, he'd come in to have this whole big, big thing with this girl named Olive, who was also an actress. Well, it turns out that the minute he met this chick, they wound up having this great thing, but the other girl didn't know about it, of course, and she, she didn't know what happened to the guy. He's gone over the weekend, and uh, so the whole point is that uh, he really is supposed to be with somebody else, right? Well, it turns out that all of a sudden, while they are sitting there in the afternoon, and they're, they've they got the times, obviously they've spent the night together. The times is spread out. There's a, a lot of stuff from the breakfast table, dishes and all sitting there, see? And suddenly there's a knock at the door, and it turns out that Olive has arrived. <laughs> oh, geez, you know. So there's a fantastic scene where he's running around like mad, and he's 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 trying to he's trying to pick up his stuff. He's he's been he's dressed, you know. He's got his uniform on most of it, anyway. He's got his coat off and his tie off and stuff, but. He's running around, see, and he, and it's too late now. She's coming in. She's, she's coming into the door. So he runs like man into the kitchen. He's carrying a couple of things. He thinks he's, he's got his hat and his raincoat. Well, the girl now... Uh, sees that he has left his coat hanging out. He's he's just simply left his coat there. There's his coat hanging there. It's his coat. See, right in the middle of the breakfast stuff by the breakfast table. So, with that, she runs over and grabs the coat and she runs to the to the kitchen door and without even looking, she just flings the coat in there. Right? She just flings it in at him. It have a swinging door in the kitchen. She just flings the coat in. And then she runs over and lets the the girl uh, has now come into the uh, the, the, the the room. And, boy, it's a tense moment. She almost saw that coat and all that stuff. See, well, all right, it's a very fast scene. It has to happen so fast because it's very funny. See, all of a sudden this guy flies out of his chair when the bell rings and you hear this voice, it's Olaf. you know, it's Olaf. Oh, my God. He jumps up and he runs around like mad. and, And there's a scene where it's played like a Groucho Marx scene. You run like mad. You run around. You're grabbing your stuff and you run in to the kitchen. Well, We got so good at it that this girl could, could, just about the time I'm in there, and I'm running into the kitchen, which faced the audience. See, I'm running now facing the audience, because it's a little kitchen. It's a cross-section. I I make the turn, and I run into the kitchen. Now I'm facing the audience, right? So I I run all the... Whew, there's a point where he goes, wow. See, then he suddenly... Oh, my coat, my God. And at that point, the coat is supposed to come sailing in. All right. So... Now you got the scene. You didn't know that there were these little subtleties involved in creating a scene like this where he makes these different reactions. So anyway, the guy, at this point, I, when I say guy, I'm referring to me, of course. I'm playing the scene. When I refer to the guy, he's the character. Most actors, incidentally, after they've done some acting over a point, they don't think of themselves as themselves. It's the guy does this. Uh, Hamlet does this. He walks across the stage and does that. Uh, and you get the, you get that. So the guy, I'm, the bell rings. This is the, the great golden moment. One of the, one of the things I always remember is a shepherd's superhuman instant. The, <laughs> the bell rings, Say I jump up! Oh, oh, what? It's, oh, what? It's Olive! You know, I run around and I've taken all this stuff and I got my hat, I stick my hat on the head and I grab my raincoat and I, and I, I'm trying to look and I, I grab the tie, see? And I run in through the room. Uh, right, bam, I go through the swinging doors. Now I'm not looking at anything, see, I'm looking at the audience, I'm running, <gasps> and just at that, the chick comes running to the to the door, and she flings the coat in. Well, this night, instead of just flinging it in, she flung it like that sideways, I don't know what made her do it, and the coat takes off, and it is sailing out over the audience. See, she just goes whap, and it goes like that. Well, Shepard is facing the audience now, remember. And I don't know what... How, what, what the adrenaline did, I had no idea. First of all, it was not conscious. I didn't know that she had done this because I'm looking away. I don't see the coat, remember. She's behind me. The door is directly behind me. She flings it in like that. Some six cents, Seth, do it. So Shepard leaps high in the air and makes a leaping backhand grab of the collar of the coat just as it's sailing out into the audience. I must have been three feet off the ground. And without even looking back, I, I'm looking at the audience. I just fly up and I grab the coat as it's just taken out over the audience, and of course, there was a moment where I myself was dumbfounded at you know what a what a what a trick! It was a it was a kind of thing like a, a you know a magician would work twenty years to do. See, so I leap up and I grab the coat just as it's going out over the audience, and I land. And, and obviously there was a, a, a look of, 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 uh, of surprise on my face. <laughs> well, the audience roared. It was fantastic roar. And and and, and I, I, I at that minute, you see, it was just a great roar, just an appreciation of the trick. Such a great trick. And, and again, you see that that threw the whole scene off because everybody was supposed to be watching the scene between this girl as she greeted olive <laughs> instead they were applauding the catch of the coat <laughs> well you know it was funny after that after that production after that show that night that per, that particular performance uh i i was in the dressing room and into the dressing room came one of the critics from one of the new york papers you know who it is is a well-known critic and he came in and he wanted to say something Seeing he came into the place and, uh, I said, uh, gee, what, yeah you know, <laughs> well, he says, I want to ask you one thing. He says, just, 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 for curiosity. He said, how long had have you rehearsed that thing with the coat in the kitchen? And he said, that's fantastic. He says, how long? He says, that's a wild thing you did there. Well, I, I was confronted with the, uh, this is a moment when you can sell out, you know. I was confronted with the idea, uh, do I lie to him? <laughs> Why you admit that it was just one of those incredible accidents that happened? You know, just absolutely, just a great moment. So I, he, he said, how long you rehearsed that? Really? He says that that really is is remarkable. He said, you know, if you missed that code, he said that damn thing would have gone out in the upper deck. He said that had gone in the balcony. And I said, uh, yeah, that's well, that's the way we figured it. And he says, gee, that, that's a Remarkable thing," he said. "How long did you rehearse?" He said, well, "How did you do? It? How would you rehearse that thing?" I said, "Well, you know, <laughs> and I, I sort of passed it off." I said, "Well, you know, you, you just uh, these are things you have to do." You know, as we just worked on it, worked on it till it worked. Well, it was it was a great scene at that particular moment. Well, uh, a lot of things happen by accident now, in, in, and later are incorporated into uh, into the production. You see, many times when I when I see a play, if I go to see a play and I and I see some great. You know, a little bit that is obviously not in the script, and it's a, it's a, what they call a directorial, uh, action comment where the, the a character does something and it's very clever and everybody laughs. Well, I wonder how much of it happens out of a, out of an accident that has uh, happened in rehearsal and is then incorporated. Now, I'll give you a, a, a classic example of that. A, a few years ago, I was doing a play at the Theatre de Lice, which is, uh, down in the village, in case you don't live in New York, you don't know maybe what that is, but that's one of the leading off-Broadway playhouses, at the Theater Delise, and uh, it was a Roger Stevens production of an Arthur Coppett play, and in the play, uh, there were three men in this, the first, there were actually three leading characters, or really two leading characters in the first play, and I was in this play, and it was myself and George Siegel. The two of us were had these scenes we played together. Well, now in this particular, well, actually the play was about us. He was supposed to be a psychiatrist, and I was a guy who was a was an ex uh, ball player and uh, w- w- had had uh, become a coach. And I was I was in in an insane asylum. And uh, we were re- replaying. This was the the essence of this play. We were replaying the key moment that it happened in this guy's life, that, that is the ball player's life. He had been uh, hurt in a ball game playing against the Yankees. He was a third baseman and had been hit by a line drive. And uh, when he was really catching on in the big leagues, it fantastic, he had about a three fifty batting average and he had hit 10 home runs in the preceding uh, 18 games and he was really making it big when all of a sudden he was hit by a line drive. And it ended his career. Well, we were replaying that on the stage. See, the ball game was, was created. That was a really interesting play, a ball game. Uh, all on the mind, you could hear the crowd, and you could hear the, the, uh, b- the band playing, you know, take me out to the ball game and the whole business. And, and uh, we were playing this ball game. Well, there, there was a key moment when George Siegel, the actor, was to, he was playing a catcher. And I was playing a guy that was coming in from third, Running in from third base to to collide with this catcher, that was another key thing that had happened in this guy's career, where a guy was killed coming in from third, colliding with a catcher, and it had killed him literally, or blinded him actually. He had gotten spiked, and he was blinded. So, nevertheless, it was it had to be played out on the stage. Well, one night in rehearsal, uh, when 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 I was I was running towards him, you see, and it's all done in slow motion. We had strobe lights, and it was beautifully done. Well, I came towards George, and at the last instant, for some reason or other, I dropped my shoulder. Instead of coming in straight, I dropped my shoulder, and, as, and George was going up at the same time trying to, to, to collide with me. Well, as we did, my shoulder dropped and caught him right below his rib cage, and we both cartwheeled. It was just like an accident. We both cartwheeled it. George went over cart cartwheeling, and I went the other way cartwheeling. It's fantastic collision, but we both landed flat. You see, it was a really spectacular. But it was really, uh, it just came out, well, it was such, such an interesting, uh, spectacular moment in rehearsal that everybody who saw it says, oh, my God, keep it in. <laughs> it was fantastic. Well, we did. So we worked on that one little instant, colliding with the catcher we worked on that for three weeks upwards of four and five maybe sometimes as long as oh who knows uh we, we went as long as four or five hours a day working on that one bit which was a key bit of the play well when it actually happened in production when when you know it was done the 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 effect was electric i mean if you saw it uh, you you remember it because uh, it was it really was a major collision occurred right on the stage it was cartwheeling up in the air like that and down and it was the result of an endless amount of work on that one instant that lasted not more than oh i would say actually and well how long does it take for a guy to crash into another guy it was probably uh you know maybe three or four seconds in actual but it, it, it the effect was fantastic the heat cartwheel up near all oh, both of us are high in the air. See I would cartwheel one way, he would cartwheel the other, and both would land and cartwheel on the ground and, and lay. Like tremendous collision. And <laughs> so uh the uh the the, the whole uh, the whole idea of, of uh performing and I've never really really talked much much about this, uh but I'm curious what people might think when they hear me perform what they think I'm specifically thinking of at the time I'm performing. Well, a lot of things. (laughs) And it's not that you're not thinking of what you're doing, you're thinking ahead of what you're doing. You see, the thing about a performer that he must do always, he's doing a performance, he's not just talking. And a performance involves many things. One thing, he must know where he's going in his talking. He also is considering beat and tempo and many other things which seem to be totally irrelevant or not even existent to the guy sitting in the audience watching it and he's conscious of many things which he's aware of for example many times on the stage you're conscious of the fact that if you get past a certain point half the audience can't see you you're conscious of of, of all kinds you know have you ever looked at a stage Just, have you ever been up on a stage when a, when a, when a, uh, production is in production? Well, on the stage, there are countless little colored lines and pieces of chalk and tape, which, which are various blocking lines, where the actor knows he cannot get past that little green tape at the point where they bring in the, uh, operating table. Uh, he he knows that he turns at that point, and he does not go past the the, the yellow line as he's delivering his speech about how uh, if he only had a horse, he could save the kingdom. <laughs> and all Yes, all these things. So he's conscious. It's like a giant chess game going on up there. And uh, this is true of, of uh, my performances when I'm working both on the air and before a college campus. And it, you're conscious of a countless number of lines uh, crisscrossing